0: excited to be up here and teaching this morning, and um, we're going to be looking at a familiar passage. We've been uh, going through the parables and looking at the ways Jesus is really teaching us how to live. I think ultimately when it comes down to it, Jesus' emphasis is always on abundant life. How do we experience it? How do we grow into it? As Mo was saying, praying for revelation, right? Like, what is that? It's more, that the life that we are called to live is always more, And he's getting us more and more open, enlarging our hearts so that we're able to receive this life and then give it. And this week something happened. I um, have been over the last few years working with a cousin of mine, and this is an odd request. He he came to me and he said, Jeff, I want you to do my memorial. He um, about 12 years ago was diagnosed with cancer and was given two years to live and uh, outlasted that by a decade. But, um, but battled that whole time. And so here's a man who has lived with the reality of his own impending death, f- like front and center for the last 10 years. And um, it was fascinating sitting with him and listening to his story as he kind of processed it with me. The, the effect that this has. You might imagine some of that might feel a little bit morbid, but but the truth is he's he's staring at a reality that's coming towards all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, right? That, that ultimately this life ends. And that we all as human beings find ourselves wondering what did this mean? Did I live this well? How did I spend my time? And it, I think that so often we spend, if, if you're like me, most of our effort and energy sort of avoiding this reality, that, uh, that we, we pursue youth, we pursue the, the young desires, we try to stay as young as possible, we try to keep our appearance as young as we can, hoping to stave off this sort of reality that's approaching at us. But I think that this can, in the end, Stunt our ability to really live. That the more we kind of hide from this and cling, the more we find ourselves kind of wasting the opportunity. There's a freedom from coming, from um, just understanding the fact that we have a limited amount of days, an amount of days that only God knows, which I think pulls us into this present moment and asks us, How am I supposed to live today? I've been reading a book uh, with a book group called From Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks. Has anybody read this book? It's kind of newer. If you hear anybody talk about fluid versus crystallized intelligence, it's kinda, that's kind of his phrase that he coined. It's an interesting idea, but he talks about these sort of younger values that we try to hold on to. And he would say it's, it's similar to athletics, where you would go, uh, if you're an athlete, your career peaks probably at 28, right? Like 30, you're kind of holding on. 31, you're getting old. You've probably got a few injuries. So you, you realize this idea. If your life is about athleticism, you've got kind of the first third of your life and that's about it. But in a similar sort of way, we seem to value innovation, right? And he would say innovation too is kind of a young man's game. By your early 30s, most of us are decreasing in our ability to think outside of the box. And we might argue and say, oh, no, 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 I still got it, right? But, um, but that's denial. And uh, <laughs> it, what Arthur Brooks is talking about in this book is, hey, you've got to shift from this, what he would call this like fluid intelligence to this crystallized intelligence, which he would refer to as wisdom and generosity, a different way of thinking. And, and as I look at that and look at his approach, I think it sounds in so many ways very biblical, that this life of uh, acquiring and possessing and achieving is, is sort of a young man's game. And it's not wrong, but when we try to stay there and hold on to those values too long, something goes bad. We end up creating a future that's about us and about our achievement, about looking a certain way. It's very appearance-driven. And there's a cost to this, and it's a subtle cost, and it happens slowly over time, but it's sort of eroding of our soul. I honestly think this is what Jesus is referring to when he says it's possible to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. That we get stuck in this mode of acquiring, and the truth is, it doesn't make us happy. And as we go through life, each of us has, I firmly believe, a unique calling on each one of us. And mining that out, understanding our purpose, understanding our unique calling is, is one of the keys to really living a deep, valued life, um, a purposeful life. And um, we've been doing that as an elder board. I've been doing that a little bit on my own. Have any of you done any work on like, what your core values are? Have you thought about that? Brene tells you you got to pick two which is really, really hard. I can get it down to about like six or seven or eight, right? And then they start kind of overlapping and morphing. I think, you know, I would have said before this week, I think growth and I think authenticity. I think those are core for me, the ones that really matter. But then I'm like, yeah, but what about, what about wisdom? I like that one too, or I want to kind of fit them all in together. But, uh, you know, really mining down deep, Each one of us, I think, in our hearts resonates a bit uniquely. And yet, as much as each of us are unique, I think there is a simple formula for how to live a flourishing, abundant life. And I thought we would talk about that and actually spend a couple weeks as we're going through parables. This is going to drill a little bit down more on a metaphor but one where I feel like it embodies so much of the key or the mystery to how to live well. And it's a familiar one to you guys, but, um, but hopefully we get something new from it as we go to God's word. Um, which, let me just say, by the way, I loved what Michelle shared this morning about reading the Bible together. Something really, really beautiful. I would totally encourage you guys that want to sign up for the Bible recap and finish out the rest of the year, but just so you know, it's not an accredited certificate if you just do the New Testament. You don't get full credit. You just It's only partial credit, but, but still, it will be worth it. Um, I'm just teasing, yeah. You. you get full credit. Okay, John 15. No, you don't. Um, here we go. Now, again, somebody's going to say, this isn't really a parable. It's more of a metaphor, which is true. But it's a crucial one. And I think in some ways, it's like a parable, but a snapshot instead of a film, right? It gives us an image here. And we see, similar to the parables, God in this equation and ourselves. We see purpose. We see opportunity. We hear some warning given in this. And God chooses this image, and I think it's a good one. I I think... Along with the shepherd that we talked about last week, this image of God as a gardener to me is very helpful. That we have this God who is tending our souls. Have you ever thought about that? That this is the work that God is up to in each one of you. And this would be my firm belief that in every single heart here, God is already at work. Always already at work. Tilling the soil of our hearts Doing work, pruning our lives, bringing us to this place where we are able to fulfill what we were created for, to bear fruit. And this gardener is doing this by cultivating the garden. And, and gardening is a good metaphor. I, I remember when my wife was one time planting the garden, she got a bunch of seeds. And I remember looking at one of the seed packets that said, Don't expect to see anything for 100 days. I thought, gosh, who waits 100 days for anything? right? My gosh, traffic is unbearable. Or like, let's be honest, like the long line at the grocery store. You're like, God, I don't have time for this, right? Like five minutes or whatever that is, let alone waiting for that little sprout to emerge. And God is involved in this work in our lives. And it's a lifetime worth of work, tilling the soil of our hearts, planting seeds, doing this work to help us grow. And some of us may not necessarily like that idea. I mean, some of us might prefer that that God is more like an IT department or something that you call when you're in trouble, right? Like, oh no, I don't know what to do. Call IT. Um, Call God. Send up a prayer rather than this idea that God is there day in and day out, paying special attention to your life. And some of you may be thinking, well, if God's doing some gardening in my life, he's not doing a very good job. Like, look at all the weeds, look at all the things around here, right? Like, I I don't seem to be bearing a whole lot of fruit. And yet I think a gardening image is helpful for us in that, because I think oftentimes things are happening that we don't see, whether it's with the roots, whether it's within the plant itself, waiting for that proper season. Some of us may be sitting there thinking, gosh, if, if God is the gardener, why isn't he watering me more? Like, I feel so dry. You know, the, the, the truth is that, that in all of these things, there's in this image a fair amount of trust that's being asked of us. And Jesus is starting with this reality, and he's saying you have to basically work your perspective around this fact That not only is there a gardener, but he knows what he's doing. And that too often we come in and we take matters into our own hands, don't we? That we're pretty sure we know as we look at these core values and like, what are the things I stand for? Like, what are my goals? What are the things that I want to achieve? Which isn't wrong. Like, vision is important. But I think sometimes what happens is we can get in sort of a tug-of-war match with God over his will versus our will. Without even knowing it, we're protecting things that we're trying to hold on to. And the fact is we have this gardener that comes in and prunes. And pruning, I think, is, is oftentimes confusing to us. In fact, I think sometimes things, branches get cut off that we're like, oh, no, no, that was working, right? Like, leave that one alone, and nope, that gets snipped. Sometimes they're branches that we just sort of want to hold on to because we feel like they give us value or worth. When in fact God's going, ah, in the long run, Jeff, better to let that go. And these prunings, I think, in our life can look an awful lot like inconveniences, interruptions, even suffering, Here's your little C.S. Lewis for the day. He says, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. We look at these interruptions and go, gosh, why can't I just get on with bearing fruit? And God's going, no, no, this is how, this is how it works. This is how the yield is great. This is how it's the right kind of fruit. And when we try to manage this in our own way, it's interesting. Scripture tells us we can't do anything, right? We can do nothing. But that's, that's not exactly true. We bear fruit, and even I think sometimes good-looking fruit. But you bite into it and it tastes wrong. And I like that. It's, it's the taste that helps us understand, is this the right kind? And Paul, I think, just beautifully captures this in Galatians where he says the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is what? Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Uh, he unfortunately doesn't say like adoration and prestige and power and possessions and right. That's that's our fruit that we bear on our own, and probably most of you here are are pretty decent at creating that sort of fruit, right? I think you didn't get here to Laguna Beach by accident. Um, our talents, our abilities, can produce a sort of fruit. It's just not the fruit of the spirit. And generally, it's pretty inward-focused and pretty self-absorbed. And um, at least that's where kind of gravity draws it, doesn't it? And when we live this life like we're going to live forever, and we live this life as if like we're, we can build this ourselves, what ends up happening is we create these lives where we just become anxious overachievers. Can anybody identify with that? <laughs> Liar. Um, (laughs) Right? We like strive and keep striving and can't quit striving, right? There's like a dopamine hit with achievement where we're like, okay, I got to just keep doing that. That worked. That got the praise. That got the adoration. I got to get more of that. And how quickly we second guess ourselves after that. Like, yeah, I did it this week, but can I do it next week? and this sort of inner anxiety that forms, this lack of really understanding of who we are and our value. And I think we talked last week about being lost, this lost sheep. And I think sometimes this chase, this pursuit is what gets us lost. It's a chase after something that ends up being a bottomless pit. We can never attain enough of it to bring us satisfaction. But we sure try, don't we? I think this is where Jesus comes in and he starts snipping away at these things in our life, these attachments that we have, these things that we want to cling to, the things that we're sure are going to make us feel good about ourselves. And he doesn't say bear fruit. I mean, this is what's so important here. When we look at Jesus' model, he's not ever telling us bear fruit. He's saying, no, you can't. He tells us to do what? Abide. Which probably... A number of you have like big Lebowski references going through your mind there. <laughs> to abide." right? What does that mean to abide? The dude abides, the dude abides right? <laughs> but I think sometimes with this reference, it, some translations, some of your Bibles might say, "Remain." And I think "remain" is actually a helpful word in this equation, where Jesus says, "Remain." Remain here, remain in me, remain connected. That you have this gardener tending the garden and then you have this vine, which is the source of life. Remain in it. I think if there's any work involved in our faith, you know, it's not this faith of achieving, it's this faith of remaining. That there's a posture to it, a surrender, a yielding that defines remaining. And as we do this, as we remain in this place, we're changed. Our hearts open outward. And we become more and more generous, more and more compassionate. I love this idea as you think of the taste of this fruit, what that tastes like. And I love how it says in the end, against such things there's no law. Like who would ever turn that down when people encounter peace? and kindness and gentleness. When people feel that in us, they're drawn to it. Willard says they're drawn to it like cold people to a fire. Like, oh, okay, that's what I'm looking for. And Jesus is saying, this is what each one of you are called to, is bearing this fruit in a unique way, but in a way where the formula, the math is always the same. You stay in Christ, and out of that, he produces the fruit. And there's almost a rhythm to this, like an inhale and an exhale. That we're opening ourselves to God and opening ourselves to others. And I like how, you know, when Jesus says, You love because I first loved you, we receive and then we give. That when we remain in Christ, what we are doing is allowing God to love us. Sometimes that love is the pruning. Sometimes that love can feel disappointing. But we trust that God knows what he's doing. When I choose myself and my will, I cut myself off from that, and I start to wither. Not only am I not bearing fruit, but inside of me it changes. And what comes with that? Jealousy, envy, anxiety, fear. Fear. And Jesus is saying, here's the key. You have to remain in me, but it requires surrender and humility, two words that our ego doesn't like, right? Jesus says it's simple just give up control. <laughs> and we're like, oh no. Because we like control, it makes us feel safe, it makes us feel assured. To trust in God is is to be in this really vulnerable space, at least that's how it feels. I mean, think about that as you think about your life. And you've heard me say this before, how easy it is to say, God, all of this is yours, right? And, And what always comes to mind is like a hand behind my back, and I'm like, God, all of this is yours. And he's like, yeah, you can keep all that. What's behind your back, Jeff? And I'm like, oh, it's no big deal, right? And he's going, oh, no, that's everything. That when I hold something back, I'm resisting something. And see, Jesus models this, I feel like, so beautifully when he's in the garden and he's praying and he sees the cross before him and he's like, I don't want to do this. And he prays that if there's any other way, right? And then... That prayer, not my will, but your will be done. I think that is at the heart of remaining. That prayer right there. Not my will, but your will be done. And the thing is, what we see, and we're going to look at this later, because I want to spend a few weeks on this. I mean, when you go there, Jesus is like, okay, when you're in that space, he's like, okay, ask for anything. Let's go. But without that remaining, then any blessing from God is dangerous. Anything is something that we can turn and revert back to ourselves in our pride. So this work of submission, I want to say, is the work that all of you find yourself in, whether you know it or not. It's in your marriages, it's in your relationships, it's with your job at work. What are you going to do with your will? Each day you have an opportunity to lay it down, and as we do, we practice the real work. Eugene Peterson says this, the question at the heart of the intersection of God's will and human wills is apparently at the heart of everything. The relation of God's will and my will is not not a specialized religious question. It is the question. The way we answer it shapes our humanity in every dimension. It's not a question that pertains to church. It's not a question that pertains to religion. It's a question that pertains to life whose will is in control and to practice yielding in even the smallest of ways we're doing the deep work of the heart and as we do that as we stay in that place of submission God's saying this life flows into you but it also has to flow out of us that if we try to stop up that blessing and hold on to it for ourselves, you notice this throughout Scripture, it always goes bad. It gets murky. Once again, it bears the wrong sort of fruit. If we're cut off on either end of this, the input or the output, things don't work. It's a flow. And this flow is crucial. It's what brings us alive. Think of it like a breath, an inhale or an and an exhale. Inhaling God's love exhaling compassion. This is how we thrive, right? People see this. They notice it. They go, yeah, if you want to live a good life, the people that are content at the end of their lives are connected relationally. They've got a deep love for one person and they're generous. These are like little statistics, right? They're not like these tiny little narrow us trying to seek validation in the data. They're going, this is just sort of the data that's out there. To live in that place of genuine generosity, our hearts have to change, and this is how they change. And as you receive that, as you take that in, what are you taking in? Well, God's love, and a love that knows you so well. I was sitting with these core values and going, God, what... What are my core values? I can't even really, I'm trying to drill down, but. And finally, I found myself saying, God, would you show me what those are? In Psalm 139, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. the gardener at work who knows and formed each one of you and delights. How many are his thoughts about you? Have you ever asked God what he thinks about you? I mean, it's an interesting question, right? But he's like, oh, I know you better than you know you. And I had this moment this week where, like I was saying, like, what are, what are my core values. Well, I love growth. It's a church I want to see us grow. I love authenticity, right? None of this outward, superfluous stuff. Let's like get to the real work, right? The deep work. But I, you know, was meeting with my cousin's family and, um, you know, and, and this is what I find when I ask God, who, God, who do you see me to be? I'll tell you what he does for me. He leads me into a situation where I feel like I'm in way over my head. And I'm often like, oh, here we go. I'm going to be asked stuff that I don't have answers to. I'm going to be walking down roads with people that I haven't personally been down myself. Like, what am I going to do here? I mean, I could read the rule book, right? But you're like, you're walking into a situation of Grief. My father's alive. These, my little second cousins have lost their dad, you know. Find myself going, help, God, help. And we had such a beautiful time together, and I won't go into details. I'm sitting there, like, so humbled by this. And thinking about how little I really, as I'm thinking about what I gave, how small what I gave was thinking about the tenderness of this moment, right? And I think this is God going, hey, that's who you are, Jeff, just so you know. That's who you are. And I tend to think, well, gosh, there's so much wrong. Look at all the weeds in this garden. And I think God goes, no, I know. We still have some work to do. But I drive home and I like weep. Because it touches something so deep in my heart, like longings. When I'm coming up with my value statement, it's too small. And God just goes, ah, it's bigger, it's deeper, smaller in some ways. That's the real thing, right? And when you come and you show compassion to somebody like that, that is hurting or feels outside of it all. I think sometimes it feels like so small what you give. God's going, oh man, we can do a lot with that. We can bear a lot of fruit. Sometimes just through these simple little gestures. And the truth is, it's humbling, but it's it's also beautifully simple. And Jesus just models it for us. Who was in the image of God, what? Emptied himself. They call this kenosis is the theological word this emptying of my will for the will that god has and see what i want to get at is this is gosh in this process this is where our hearts change and grow it brings out something in us something more i think uh lincoln referred to it as the better angels of our nature but it's these deeper things in us that God sees and goes, oh, I put that there. Those things, our deepest longings, are the things that God wants to realize. And so he says, remain, remain in me, abide with me. It's not active or passive, it's this sort of in between posture of like willing surrender. We give God our heart and we say, thy will be done. Talk about the vision for our church. What what is our goal? And we talk about this becoming like Christ for the sake of others. And to me, that has the input and the output and the work all wrapped up. Becoming like Christ, not for our own pleasure, always for the sake of others what happens as we do as we come to life. We experience the fruit, the indwelling of God's love and the exhaling of God's compassion. I like how Frederick Buechner says, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. This is why we should come to church on Sunday, right? To be reminded to do this together, to encourage each other in this work, realizing that it gets hard, realizing that there are seasons that feel dry. We come along, we rally together, we love each other and we let God love us. I want to ask a couple questions as usual. And like I said, we're going to stay on this topic for a couple weeks, just kind of going deeper into it. But the first one, I would encourage you to think about this. What what is your definition of a successful life? And, And nobody's going to see this, right? So you can be honest. Because we all have one. Our actions reflect it. How does that align with your values, the deep core values of your heart? And maybe you're like, I don't even know what those are. And I think that's a wonderful place to begin. God, show me my heart. What are the values? Question two, what thoughts does God have about you? That's such a vulnerable question, right? And a lot of that's been conditioned by our past. Some of us feel guilt or shame just at the thought of God's thoughts about us. These parables remind us that is not God's heart. He looks on you with love and affection as his child. Even if you're that prodigal, he like runs after you. Have you asked God his thoughts? Have you considered what those values were, that those values were given to you by God? I think that sometimes that's empowering when you go, gosh, I feel like I'm just wired this way and God's going, I know, I love that about you. I made that. Number three, is there any resistance to accepting and surrendering to God's will? Uh, I'll give you a hint. The answer is yes. (laughs) What is the tension? What have you got to lose? And what might you have to gain? This fruit, right? This is where God wants us to just drink deep of the source of that to remain in this place of life, to be brought to life and then to live lives of deep purpose as that fruit becomes available for all who are hungry and weary. Would you stand with me? Let me just pray for us this morning. Thank you guys so much for being here. Listen, if you would like prayer this morning, we will be down front. Marcia and I will be down here. I think Jesse will be down here. If you would want to come down and join us for prayer any of our elders will be down here but god i pray this week as we think about this image of the vine and the branches god that you would give us the courage where we need to to remain god that you would stir our hearts with the invitation to abide God, that you would help us discern those things that get in the way of that, that create reluctance. God, give us courage to press through that and to press in to where you're inviting us to be. And God, I pray for each one here this week that they would experience more deeply your love for them, how well you know them, how you delight in them. God, I pray that you would pour it out on each heart heart here and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.